Welcome to Freedom to Choose from Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit providing hope to those caught in the devastation of addiction or who are searching for a better way to live. In this series, The Life, you'll study the life of Jesus. Who is he? What is he really like? Does he care about me? Rich and Susan Collenberg are a husband and wife team who found freedom over two decades ago from their lives of drug addiction and alcoholism. They found biblical answers and now share their experience of freedom on Freedom to Choose. Hello, everyone. My name is Rich Collenberg. And my name is Susan Collenberg. And welcome once again to Freedom to Choose. And for your reference, this is program number seven in the series, The Life. We're going to talk about rejection of God today, rejection of God, which is a pretty heavy topic. Yes. Um, you know, uh, well, before we get started, Susan, would you open with a word of prayer? Sure. Our loving Father in heaven, we're grateful that uh, once again we have an opportunity to, um, in freedom and in love, to uh, talk about your principles, your divine principles, and the way that you um, have set up your universe and how better we can interact with um, those principles with each other and especially with you. And we just ask that you will send your spirit to guide and direct our our um, words today, as well as um, to um, help us all learn something. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Susan. Mm -hmm. You know, so what are we going to talk about here? We're going to talk about love first, because when you talk about rejection, love requires that you have the freedom to reject someone or else it's not love. And, um, you know, I know there's... uh, lines and topics in the Bible about predestination, but let's kind of get back a little bit and look at, does predestination mean we don't have a choice? Does predestination preclude God? In other words, God has picked winners and losers, or is it something different? Because if you think about it, God created time, created everything. All things were created by it. So he created time. So he lives outside of time. Remember uh, in John, it says all things were created by him. So I want you to think of God, I want you to think of standing at a parade, and you're watching the parade go by, and what are you doing? You're looking, you're trying to see the next float coming, you're looking and you're trying to see the next thing coming, and as it passes you, you see what's in front of you, and that's all you can see of the parade is what's happening right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Well, God is, uh, God in our metaphor is on top of the building that's 15 stories high, and he sees the entire parade all at once. Mm-hmm. You see, and that's how he's looking at the world and and what transpires. Just because he knows the end from the beginning doesn't mean he's making that happen. Well, and I believe that um, God predestined that everyone should should be saved and that none would perish. Yeah, isn't that what it says in Peter? Absolutely. Yeah, it says that, that, you know, it's not his desire that any should perish, but all should come. That's what he wishes. That's God's will. And that was was, um, the mission that Jesus came on when he came to this earth, was to show the character that God... um, you know, desired to heal everyone. Yeah, you know, I, I'm glad you touched on that because Jesus came to do God's will. Why did he come to do God's will? Because God's will was being... Was not being done. Right, and and it was misunderstood, too, it's I think. It's all yeah. messed up. It got all 
all and I up. think that so that's the thing is you know do, is God doing um, are we doing God's will in our life mm-hmm. you know that's the thing it's like um, I don't know you know you you kind of wonder as you go day to day what are you absorbed day to day, in yeah. right as you go day to day what's you, what's your um, your foci you know is it yeah. is it that is it like Abraham who said you know well, it's it's not this land but it's a land yeah is that you your know? focus. Right. And and do we do we get caught up in into the the thing well God knows the end from the beginning so why bother trying why why bother praying why bother anything right. he knows the end from the beginning just cuz he knows it doesn't mean he's making it happen. Right. See or that total he difference. It to I'm going to do an experiment right here. I'm going to hand this over to my wife. Oh, see now I couldn't I'm... predict what she was going to do. <laughs> I tried to hand her my pen but she pulled her hand back. See, so I, I would have said just because I knew she was going to do that didn't mean she did it. But I didn't know she was going to pull back. I thought she'd take it. See, so I'm not God. I can't predict. I figured it was a trick. She, she thought it was a trick. But that's that's how it is. God knows everything that's going to happen, but he doesn't. He he's not causing it. And to so doesn't that I you know for people who have lived the um, the destructive lifestyle that that Rich and I have lived in the past. It's really when you sit back and you contemplate the thing that God knows everything before it happens, and yet he allows it to happen. Well, that's... But he must have known, too, that, you know, at some point our lives were going to change. But how, you know, what would... When we talk about this, would you rather God just come in and, and switch out your hard drive yeah, and no, to no. change and you, just, he'll destroy your individuality exactly, if he exactly. does that. Exactly. So God allowed, you know, the painful years that we lived in drug addiction and abuse and everything, um, in order for us to, you know, live through that time and then live through a time of struggling to get out of it. And that's the thing that we want to encourage people. If you know somebody who's struggling with issues in their life, whether it be a drug or power abuse or whatever issues that they're going through is that, you know, God desires that everybody would be healed from that and that it is possible. Yeah, and he wants you to make the choice to let him untangle it. He's not going to force his way in. He's a gentleman. And so many times, too, is we, uh, especially there's parents or um, we have siblings and we want nothing more than to intervene in their lives or to do for them what they should be doing for themselves. And sometimes I think that we place ourselves in the place of God and we prevent the actual true healing the growth, yeah. right by trying to um, make everything perfect yeah, for someone. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And just remember, somebody goes astray, God lost a perfect child in a perfect environment with perfect siblings. Everything was perfect. And he lost one third of his children. Right. Because of the freedom to choose. Right. Love can't be coerced. It can't be forced. It has to be voluntary. From but from the individual from basis. From the individual. And right. God took a risk, and he lost one-third of his most brilliant beings right in his very presence. Right. So the, you parents that are out there and are struggling with what shoulda, coulda, woulda, you know, what, what should I have done, what could I have done, what can I still do— um, we need to recognize that you're, you're lim- you have limits, and even the God that is limitless— still cannot um, bring people back into harmony with him if they're unwilling to participate. Right. And sometimes the best thing that we can do is to let someone go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We were talking about um, the rejection of God. So it's an interesting topic we're going to talk about. And uh, we're going to 
it's um, we're going to refer to Matthew 9, chapter 9. It was the second time that Jesus had healed a man possessed, blind, and dumb, that the Pharisees had reiterated the charge, he cast out devils through the prince of devils. And Christ told them plainly that in attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan, they were pretty much cutting themselves off from the fountain of blessings. They were accusing Jesus, saying, you're using the power of Satan to heal this man. Yeah. Now, if a person repents and believes no matter what we've done, the guilt is washed away in the blood of Christ, right? That's a Mm -hmm. beautiful-sounding phrase, but there's a metaphor there. So it doesn't—we're going to talk about repentance, but we're going to talk about metaphors a little bit like we kind of always do, because metaphors are throughout the Bible, but washed in the blood. In other words, you know, you re- you know, there's the recipe. Repent, believe, and you're washed in the blood. What does it mean? Well, first, before we get to being washed in the blood, we need to identify what the word repent means, really. Right, okay? and so literally it is the Greek word meaning change of mind. But the full meaning is a little bit more. In the New Testament, the word is often translated as repentance. But this kind of repentance is not about regret or guilt or shame. It implies making a decision to turn around, to face a new direction. Now, when we repent, we turn around and we head a different direction. We allow something to happen. We allow something to happen. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, I will come into him and sup with him. So what's our metaphor again? Washed in the blood. When we head a new direction with new people and a new way of life, we're we're cleansed. It's a process. But the washing, it takes time. What's the blood blood a metaphor for? It's a metaphor for the life of Christ. Leviticus says that the life is in the blood. Right, and Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, and it's assimilated in his life into your own life. And unless we do that, we won't be washed. It's a process of cleansing the mind. And we can always go back to the farmer. Yeah. And he does those things that encourage the growth, but the growth is still a miracle. Um, we talk, yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk a, a little about bit the later. farmer later. But yeah, you, that what we do spiritually, physically, we do things that encourage the growth, and the growth is still a miracle, right? Right. So unless we unless we assimilate Christ into our life. In other words, if, unless we do, we're, we're studying his life right now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as we study, it... By it, beholding, you become, become changed. Change. It changes right. you, yeah. Now remember, the person who rejects the work of the Holy Spirit is placing himself where repentance and faith won't come to him. It's by the Spirit of God that, that, that works on the heart. The Spirit draws you. When men willfully reject the Spirit and say that it's from Satan... They actually cut God off. They cut off the channel by which God can communicate with them. Right, and when the Spirit is finally rejected, there is no more that God can do for the person. The garden becomes way exactly. too overgrown, exactly. and all that the Master has wanted to grow has been died off. It's been choked out, just like the parable of the sower. Yeah, you. and if you go to the parable of the sower, it talks about how there's only one good soil, there's... Weeds choking out the garden, or weeds choking out the seed. The birds, birds come are in taking and the, take seed. the seed. Yeah, and it's all, eventually that's what happened. Uh, ha, you know, Jesus is talking about all those different conditions. Now, I'm uh, I'm sure there was a lot of Pharisees that had felt drawn toward Jesus. They'd heard the Spirit's voice in their own hearts, declaring Him to be the Son of God, and I'm sure that the light of His presence, they realized 
their shortcomings. I'm sure that those guys that threw the woman down in adultery realized their shortcomings at that time, and he wrote their sins in the dust. But they had, they, they, they rege- That was a that was the Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Spirit working with PowerPoint right there. With Jesus writing the Pharisees' sins in the dust, they came over, they looked, they didn't like what they saw, and they turned and they rejected the Spirit of God speaking to them right there. Uh huh. And I bet you they they wish deep and in, down inside they could be different people, but. Well, and they I think just... that I think that you know it, it will only be until heaven that we actually see because I think maybe you I know a lot of them uh, came yeah, back right because for me um, you know I hate to say this but it wasn't the first arrest the second arrest no. the third arrest the fourth arrest that um, had you know they all had a cumulative effect on me and just that's the same thing with life everything should have right. a cum- cumulative, cumulative yes. effect on there's us. an eighty five cent word yes. Yeah, but you know what? I, back on what you're talking about there. Now, if I was to observe you from the outside at your third arrest, I would have still been saying there's no chance for her. right, right, right. See, because we looking, we're looking with human eyes. Right. You don't think that Paul was converted on that road to Damascus? Mm-hmm. It was a process right. of him watching the disciples, him watching how those. Uh, and learning Christians about did the not life re- of Christ. Yeah, and, and learning about the life and what he said. With a different lens. Yeah, and, and, and Jesus is hanging there forgiving his uh, his murderers, and then he sees Stephen forgiving his murderers, and it's a cumulative total, and then God knocks him off the horse and says, you're having trouble with your conscience, aren't you, Paul? Right. Why are you persecuting me? Right. Well, he knew then because of everything that had built up to that time. Mm-hmm. So it's a process. Mm-hmm. That washing in the blood is a process, right. isn't it? Absolutely. Well, after their rejection of Jesus at that time, it would have been way too humiliating humiliating for them to receive him as the Messiah at that point. The Pharisees, Yes, yeah. they had set their minds in a direction of unbelief, and they were too proud to confess their error. And in order to avoid acknowledging the truth, they tried desperately to dispute Jesus' teachings. Um, they must have been exasperated with all that evidence of power and Ugh. his mercy. Mm-hmm. They couldn't prevent him from working miracles. They couldn't silence his teaching. So they did everything in their power to misrepresent him and, and falsify his words. Right. You know, do, twist his words. Right. And so do we see that trick of Satan Satan happening today, taking phrases out of the context to misrepresent people? You know, when um, when I think about that, you know what kind of jumps out of my mind, too? And it's, I think it's because of our experience in prison. Um, we hear about the stories of David and, and uh, Moses so, yeah. and Noah and, and, and Peter and all these brave men in the Bible. But what do, we, what do you like to teach when we're speaking mm-hmm. to the women? Oh, yeah, you drill down. It's not about them. Them guys had issues. It's about the God that changed their hearts. That's right. And so sometimes we mess re, we can, I think that we can map misrepresent God by misrepresenting those holy men of old as people who were these pristine... On a pedestal, yeah. Absolutely. So the the thing that, and I think it's been really good for my own Christianity and my own continuing understanding of who God is, is that it's that God took broken, broken people like David and... We had to put Moses in time out for 40 years. Absolutely. You, Solomon. You know, yeah. all those people were, were the same as you and me. Yeah. You know, yeah. they weren't, they weren't. They weren't uh, on a higher plane. Exactly. Yeah. 
they had no advantage over us. And so God can do with us exactly what he's done with David. He created a, a clean heart in him and he renewed the right spirit. So that's the thing that I think we need to remember is that uh, we could have written books in the Bible. We could have been a demoniac, right? Yeah, and, demoniac, whatever. It's just, These are just compiled stories. They're certain stories, but God has those stories there. And well, it tells the story of how good God is. Yeah, that's, all, that's all it is. That's it's right. It's about the God that can come into a human heart and change that heart and turn a murderer into someone that can write Holy Scripture. Absolutely. That's what the Bible is yeah, about. Yeah, so that's when I think about how um, sometimes phrases can misrepresent God and people, I always like to revert back to, you know, what's yeah. the Bible what's about? what's it all about yes. when you go cover to cover? See, Absolutely. I, and that's, I mean, it's so easy to take Bible texts out of context because God can get misrepresented when we do that. The, the context for any verse in the Bible is taken, it, it needs to be taken in the setting of the battle between good and evil. So the setting of the battle between good and evil or between Jesus and Satan, the context of that is the rest of the Bible. The entire Bible is the context for any verse in the Bible. Right, and it isn't that God blinds the eyes or hardens the heart. He doesn't do that to people. He sends us light to correct our errors and and to lead us to a safe path. It is by rejection of that light that our eyes are blinded and our hearts are hardened. The strongest agency that can speak to the human heart is always striving with us, but still we don't yield to that. Yeah. You know, to that power of the Holy Spirit trying to draw us in the correct direction. That's why the light was so bright to Paul, Saul, when he was on his horse. Mm Mm-hmm. Even though he was thought blinding. he was, yeah, yeah, he thought he was marching for God. The right. light didn't blind him. He come out of darkness, just like coming out of a theater mm-hmm. into the sun. See, he had been in darkness when he thought he had been in light. Right, and so he was blind when he showed up. Right, the the brightness of God just revealed that he was blind, and right. then and then the scales fall off his eyes, and now he can see. You know, sometimes the rejection of God is is it's the process is gradual, maybe even imperceptible. Light comes to a person through God's Word, through his servants, or by a, a direct agency of his Holy Spirit. But one, it, when, when a ray of light is disregarded, there can be a partial numbing, if you will, of the spiritual perceptions. And the second revealing of light is less clearly detected. So the darkness increases until it's night in the soul. In other words, your conscience, it's your spiritual eye. It can become damaged, just like your your vision, regular, just right. like your vision. And right. that's why the, the Saul-Paul metaphor is so good. He was literally blind, mm-hmm. and he was blind spiritually. Our our spiritual eyesight can, can become damaged. We can be very Near- nearsighted, if you will, myopic, right. Right. right? Spiritually myopic. Right. And the more myopic we are, the more we get, because that's how your brain works. The m- right. Everything is in relation to ourselves yeah. instead of relation to God and to his God world and, and how he... Um, has children everywhere that are in needing of restoration. Yeah, yeah. Um, In order to resist the truth, people will attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. And in doing this, they deliberately chose deception. They yield themselves to the enemy. Yep, that's that's what happens. Um, You know, the words that we speak are an indication of what's in the heart. And I think we know it's it's 
it's hard to you know hard to believe that we deliberately choose deception mm-hmm. but we go that way you, you know what I'm saying I think I think it's uh, sometimes it's easier than to f- face real truth you know I think oh, it's, yeah because it recall, requires a humble heart to really face the truth right and our and our words when we speak our words it's more than just an indication of character it's, it's, it's they they have power over our character and so you know those of us who have struggled in the in the life that we have lived um you know I always thought of myself and told myself bad things about myself, and therefore that gave me the license to do bad things. Mm-hmm. And those tapes and those things that we say, God's made our brains so um, magnificent. And we have a workbook, if anybody is interested, called... Um, could it, could be, it this be this simple? simple? Yes. I, to... I drew a blank, too. It's okay. That came out of left well, field. Well, because I was just thinking, because it talks about the brain, and it talks about how... Um, how how when we dwell upon things and we when we think thoughts it has the power to change our brains mm-hmm. and yeah. so um but that's it, why paul tells us think on these things yeah, right and he gives everything a list that's good and all that stuff you think on that stuff you fire in that part of the brain because um everything is um we're influenced by our own words and often even under a momentary impulse when we're prompted by Satan we can give way to jealousy or evil surmisings and we can express something that we may not even believe yeah. but that expression will react on the thoughts yep and then you dig your feet in and you made you you've you've voiced it and now right. you can't go back. And you made it back. real, and, right? Yeah, you made it real. And and, we're not talking about name it and claim it. We're talking about um, how— Criticizing someone yep. or saying something that you're not sure of, but once you say it, it actually gives it power in your brain. Right. Then you believe it. Then you stand by it. And the next thing you know, it's a part of you, and you're saying it all the time. You know, we say one-line phrases that we don't know what they mean, mm-hmm. like washed in the blood. Right. And you go, that's my answer. To right. the, that's my the answer to the question. What's it mean? Well, I have no idea, but mm-hmm. I mean, that's my answer. Mm-hmm. And we become we can become robotic when we don't think about things and what they really mean. And that's why, to me, the metaphors in the Bible are so important. What do they really mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven? Mm-hmm. Well, just like you eat regular bread mm-hmm. and you assimilate it and it becomes a part of you, he's that spiritual bread that comes down, and when we take him in— we assimilate it into our character, and well, it changes and us. And not only that, but the same thing with physical food that gives the body power. Jesus, as the right. bread, gives us the power. And you have to choose right. to eat it. Right, exactly. You, you, that's And that's the big thing. If any man drink of this water, another metaphor, the water of life. Right. You what know, you got to have forth. regular water, but you've got to drink it in order to survive. It's the same thing with that spiritual water. Got to partake of that guy. You know, and then you there's the the living water. So all these metaphors are wonderful as long as we understand that Jesus. You know, we say there's power in the word. No, the word testifies of the one who has the power. How about the phrase "there's power in the blood"? The power in the blood. What does that mean? See, right. yeah, you know, the word the the blood testifies of the one who has the power. The word testifies of the one who has the power. The blood represents the life, life of, of Christ. Christ. The life that He lived when He came down here and He ministered to people. Exactly. That's the life. That's the and life. that's why we love looking at the stories of Jesus and how He does minister to people because that is God in human flesh. That's it. That's how it's done. Right. That's how it's done. How do you care for people? 
How do you forgive people that nail you on a cross? How do you in human nature struggle through those things that you um, have a hard time going through, whether it be, you know, uh, having to go all the way to the cross or suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane or being rejected from your own people? You know, Jesus Jesus went went through all of that, even his own family. They couldn't understand why, you know, why he wasn't... uh, hanging out with the Pharisees and teaching what the rabbis taught. He just felt rejection everywhere. Oop, I got a sign from our engineer that we got to close up shop. So uh, remember, folks, we uh, you can go to our website, www.justasiamministries.com. You can get this program, which is program number seven, The Rejection of Christ. You can also give us a call at 916-645-1297. If you want some resources, we have books. All these uh, programs are also on our website. Uh, So anyway, shoot us a call if you will. And remember, folks, there's only two ways to live your life. One is like nothing is a miracle. The other is like everything is a miracle. And you have the freedom to choose. For listening to Freedom to Choose, there is truly hope for people whose lives seem to be overrun with problems, unhealthy relationships, or even imprisoned by some form of addiction. Rich and Susan Kallenberg are living testimonials that biblical principles do work. They've authored resources available to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Workbook, Seven Steps to Freedom, or the book, Could it be this simple, the way out of your prison? Please call Rich and Susan at 916-645-1297 or go to justasiamministries.com. As a nonprofit, they are supported by people like you. 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.